and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Alright, so if you're wondering why you're here in Starship, say nothing's going to stop us now, who knows? I don't know, Quacky asked which song I wanted for the show, I was like, let's go with Starship, let's keep it nice and cheery. You know, <laughs> uh, I know you thought I went part-time in this show, so did I, but then Stephen was like, we well, host the diversity show, I'm like, screw it, aye, let's go for it. Uh, so we're all here today, um, guys, don't forget we now have a Patreon, uh, go to that, give us all your money, uh, you can listen to the greatest show on Earth, Saturday Draft Live, with myself and Scott McLeod, uh, you can listen to other shows, uh, Sarah did a Ms and Mrs season 1 review uh, which I'm sure we're all wanting to see and uh, Sarah and Kwaku have a Scottish indie roundup show Yes, they don't have a name for it yet or no. they do and they won't tell us which I think is stupid as fuck but it's entirely up to you you know what I mean we, we may know some things that may not reveal things just yet we don't know we're undecided you're undecided yeah. you can't decide as the Justin Bieber song back in the day said so, ah who knows anyway I'm going to introduce the panel now she's the person who made the second best cash in in ESSR history in Scott McLeod a few months back uh, she said it was a great heel turn but to be honest uh, her most heelish act there uh, was not baking the cake herself by hand that she brought to the studio if this was come down with me I'd score her a zero it is Sarah Grieve how are you going how's it things oh Carol I'm going to kill you don't kill me not on air that'd be horrible and it would get you immediately in the jail they'll be that just be talking about the best caption then <laughs> it may get ratings ratings oh, <laughs> yes listen to them die live on air uh, next we have a new team member here um, in the SSR draft he has no chance because his team's just not very good at all you know he tries hard but they're just the, the quirky little team that could team of brave little toasters if you will you know um, but he has redeemed himself because I have gathered exclusive intel with the journalistic integrity that I have and um, that he's a massive fan of karaoke so introducing the newest horse of the XFL factor on Patreon it is Jack Graham how's it going? I mean you started off at a very low point uh, I, was, <laughs> I was not happy but I do like a karaoke What is your karaoke tune? I mean I've got a set list <laughs> You've got a set list? Your main uh, event in Cosmopol on a Friday night yeah? I mean I'm game Yeah? Go for it man I love Cosmopol I like how you mentioned one karaoke figure apart from Bane Hey, what's yours? Oh, yours, aye. You have a karaoke fan. I've never been to that, though. They appreciate me at Cosmopol, you know? So, anyway, speaking of karaoke, our next guest told me his name was inspired by two characters from the hit show Glee, uh, which instantly makes him my favourite member of the panel today. Um, here to explain why Grant Gustin and Naya Rivera's version of Smooth Criminal is even better than the original, and even more things, please welcome the comeback queen, Jessie Santana, very special guest in the studio house things. <coughs> Sup. and drop the mic Uh, and last but oh uh, oh, no not yet Um, I was going to go to Quacky I forgot (laughs) misread the sheep I see how it is that's fine heaven must be missing an angel (laughs) missing one angel child because she's here with us in the studio right now yes I went through many many songs with the word angel in it before getting to that one is it lazy writing? Yes, it is. Bite me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome another very special guest in the studio. Angel Hayes is joining us. How are you? I'm alright. Um, I'm not so happy about the fact you nearly forgot that I was here. <laughs> you know, we'll get past that, I'm sure. <laughs> I got so excited about Glee that I just read the sheet. I was like, ah! <laughs> And last, but also least, um, <laughs> this man has baked enough bread over the years to feed the 5,000. He basically is our version of Jesus Christ. Um, I know he hates it when I make Spice Girls references, so I'll promise I'll stop myself right now. Thank you very much. Please welcome Viva Forever. It's Quacku. What's up? How you doing? I'm, you know what? 
I'm doing all right. Hi. I'm doing all right. You know, Spice Girls. Hopefully, so I'm no longer Ginger Spice now. You are. You're still Jerry. I'm Qu- still Jerry Quackerwell to me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoying yourself. Why I do not know. <laughs> so guys, um, so we're going to get into it today. We are discussing diversity in wrestling. So there will be a lot of a tough questions we're asking ourselves today, guys. A lot of soul searching. But this is the ESSR. Still the show you love. We want to keep it as light and as fun and as entertaining for you as possible. Hence why you're listening to Starship in the background right now. Um, so our first question here, what is diversity? What does it mean to us? It's like a PSA I'm introducing here. Um, but in general, not just in wrestling, why is it important to see diversity in all forms of entertainment? And Jesse, I'll come to you with that very broad question first. Why is it important we see diversity in entertainment? Um, times are changing. So um, when I was a young kid, for example, there was no such thing as gay wrestlers, so to speak. Well, you did have classics, but not really anybody who was, oh, look at me, I'm gay, and I'm out there, and look at my sparkly outfit, and I love sparkles. Um, (laughs) But um, times have changed now, so it's kind of bringing in that new era. Um, Obviously, with that being said, so many people nowadays are now out as gay, like, still in my shit, but... um, (laughs) Anyways, um, at the end of the day, like even with that being said, you can sit here and say, oh, we're gay wrestlers and blah, 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 or you can just sit there and be like, sexuality is this, this, and this, but at the same time, before I am a gay man, I'm a wrestler too, and we're just as bad as a straight man, so. <laughs> exactly. Sarah, do you, do you agree it's about seeing that sort of diversity of character and making sure everyone is represented on screen in any form of entertainment? And where do you think, um, outside of wrestling, that's been most apparent in recent years? Do you have any example of Oh no, I do completely agree with what Jesse's saying, like it is the most important thing to have diversity now because let's just face it, we're in the 21st century, it's either go forward or go back and if we're going to go back they're going to end up going back to the Stone Age where they're going to probably do very, very bad things to anyone for like LGBTQ and etc, you never know, Mm. Um, but let's just hope that you know, what's the word I'm looking for, natural selection takes those people out. (laughs) <laughs> like cyclists who wear black in a winter's night. Like that. <laughs> so Angel, what about yourself? I mean, we're seeing, even in, if you look at Marvel movies are taking over the cinema nowadays, they're trying to be more representative of, you know, we've seen Black Panther come out, we've seen Captain Marvel from films like uh, Black Widow coming out next year. Um, across the board, these companies seem to be committing into putting more people in the spotlight. So not just featured in these movies, but front and centre, not just the straight white males we've seen before in those roles yeah I feel like it's not even just like that form of entertainment obviously I feel like everywhere's started to slowly do that because as Jesse was already saying like times have really started to change and I think that everywhere's starting to realise that it can't just be the way everything's always been things need to change with the times because it's not the way it used to be before like in wrestling as well as he was saying there never were like wrestlers who would go out and be like I am openly gay, I am a gay male or I am a gay female even but now as well like female wrestlers are seen to be wrestlers back then they were more just eye candy for guys and like props to add in the addition of like the man's sport that is wrestling but I feel now it's starting to become a more equal ball game with like obviously girls getting to like main event and they're getting to do like TLC matches and stuff like that as well now 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. And that, like, all positive stuff, we are moving in the right direction. But, Jack, there seems to be, like, segments of society pushing back against it. Whenever I see announcements that someone's casting the lead of a TV show or something like that online, there's a certain segment of those online communities who are biting back against it um, and saying a lot of really negative things. So do you think it is... Not a double-edged sword, but there's still definitely a battle to fight when it comes to diversity across all platforms. Aye, definitely, because too many folk are, like, stupid and ignorant. Like, <laughs> yeah. To have it, like, any any other way, it's like... Say, even with folk coming out now, or, like, Black Panther and that, for example, you're still going to have folk in Twitter spouting up saying, oh, why is a black person headline in a movie? So it's yeah. like, folk are just idiots. They're just no tuned into society to what it is now and how we're all kind of progressing forward into being more equal for each other. Yeah, and definitely in Kwaku, a lot of people don't seem to get the sort of celebration aspect of it. Yeah. Like, a line you hear from a lot of people, and speaking of Black Panther, as Jack touched on there, is like, oh, why can't you just present it as is instead of like being sort of like, oh, it's the first black superhero. But there's a reason for that, and it's yeah. because for such a long time, eh, many people didn't see themselves represented in that way. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing that people need to realise is that we... The end game that we would all love to have is that we don't have to have the celebration of that kind of thing because that kind of shows that there's still the progress has been made but there's still a lot more that needs to happen. We don't want to be constantly saying, oh no, this was great. We just want it to be normalised and stuff like that. But let's be honest, we're quite away from that still. We've made big progress over the years but still got quite a bit of work to do. Definitely, and to sort of sum up this discussion, there's a lot we need to unpack today, so we're going to take it into four sort of key areas to discuss diversity in wrestling, and the first of which is gender. Um, Sarah, I'll actually I'll come to you first on this one. As Angel was saying there, in the sort of early days of wrestling, we never were allowed to see women in a sort of wrestling role. It was more as a valets or to compliment the men around them. Um, but we did see one, there was uh, the fabulous Moolah, who obviously reigned as um, the WWF Women's Champion for many years. Um, however, in recent times, a lot of negative things have come up about Moolah mm-hmm. and her legacy, basically exploiting the female performers of the time um, and essentially being really not a nice person. How do you think the revelations about Moolah, has it soiled the legacy of women's wrestling at that time overall? Or does it expose the sort of lie that basically no one was allowed to get ahead in the industry if you were a woman unless you were Moolah at that time? I mean, you can kind of look at it from so many different ways because when this all came to light, you saw the uproars that was happening online. It's like, it, it did feel like it tarnished the legacy of it in a way because it just made you feel like they couldn't get anywhere because... Like if they weren't actually like exploiting themselves in one way or another, or if um, Mula was apparently running this like exploitation ring, that you weren't going to get anywhere. And then throughout all the years, everyone's like celebrating as like Mae Young and Mula being like the two pioneers to kickstart everything. And yet, when this all came to light, and this was like 2017, this happened that everyone was like calling like this is when like they had the name for it for the Battle Royal at yeah. WrestleMania, and then they instantly retracted it because. They were just scared of the the rep, like the reprimanding that people mm-hmm. were doing over it, and it feels kind of silly because uh, it's just making you feel as soon as they make a step in the right direction, that somebody's going to make you do two steps back at the same time. Because mm. that's what it looked like to me. It's like everyone's like, 
or call it something else, call it something else on the Nameless Battle Royal. Like we touched on it plenty of times during um, the first ever all women show as yeah. well. Um, it was just that for me, it didn't feel like a step in the right direction for women's wrestling in the slightest because any sort of scandal, you've seen it with China as well. She got pushed off being in the Hall of Fame for years and years and years, all because of the stuff that she'd done outside the ring. Mm. And the thing is, Angel, I'll come to you on this, we're going to talk a lot about not just what happens on screen, but what happens behind it. And I'll ask you this question, do you think Moolah would have gotten away with the stuff she did if there had been more women in positions of power? in the wrestling business at that time. So not just the fact that it was all run by men who just allowed Moolah to do what she wanted with the women's division, do you think that has a part to play in it? Honestly, I'm not sure about everything that happened in that whole situation because I wasn't alive for yeah. most of it. <laughs> Was anyone? So it's Maybe hard Clark for me to... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's ageist. <laughs> But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really know much about the actual situation at the time because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't alive, so <laughs> <laughs> that's always an issue. <laughs> yeah, but in, in general, Jack, it, it points to this idea that for what is going on in front of the camera, we do need to have equal representation behind it. Now, that's clearly something that was an issue back in day and arguably still is when you look at the WWE producers and agents and writers. I would say that 99% of them are male and we don't have many females there, so it does shape the way these products sort of interact on screen and what's happening there. Uh, I feel like, obviously when they're output in front, they are, they're probably are told what to do, but they make it what it is. I don't feel like behind the scenes they have the voice that they need mm. to go up and say, like, well, this kind of be how it was. Like, even back then, like, there was no one there that could have like, really sent because they said it and they could be fairly getting sacked or like put in like crappy situations or anything. So it's like it's definitely important to have representation off it and on. Maybe argue even more off it than it is on. Yeah. To be fair. And you, need, you need to have things sorted behind the scenes before it can actually be put out on display. Well, that's the thing, and we're moving forward a bit to the attitude era, Kwaku, and the sort of like divas era of WWE. And a lot of like people will point to that era and they'll say Trish and Lee are two standout performers, but they themselves have came out. And if you watch the Trish Stratus 24 uh, documentary in the WWE Network, saying how hard they had to fight to be seen as legitimate wrestlers, mm. they faced a lot of backlash. Um, for trying to escape the role of the sort of valley and brand panties matches and stuff like that. So it is important in that regard. Well, yeah. well see, something that Jack actually said I wanted to pick up on, you're going to notice a theme in this show, and we're going to be talking a lot about power. Because mm. power plays a lot into how everything that we are talking about can be shaped. Um, so you will notice that theme. Hmm. I do hope we mention power again. Yeah. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll sound like an idiot. But it will, you will notice that there is a lot of power, like if people in powerful positions. Definitely. That do have the opportunity to make something different. Now on to uh, Trish Alita, because yeah. I know you love Trish. I love Trish. Trish was Trish Stratus is probably my favourite wrestler of all time, mm. period, across the board. I'm a Alita person, but we'll gloss over that argument. <laughs> Like at that time, that it was just something. So like, cause I never like watching Attitude Era those early days. Yes, there were those matches like the Brad Panties and all that kind of stuff. But 
Um, maybe I was always so progressive when I was younger that I just was more captivated by Lita doing all these stuff with the um, with the Hardy Boys and the TLC match and stuff like that. And um, I just loved seeing all that. And I didn't think at the time like that was so revolutionary. But now when I look back at it, I just think, wow, that was actually incredible that they were doing all that stuff. Yeah, and Jesse, it points to what Jack was saying. Like these guys who go out in front of the camera can only do the best with what they're given. But a lot of those ladies during the Attitude Era did make the most of their chances. And there's a reason that the women were talking about Trish, Leah, Molly, Holly, among others, mm-hmm. maybe inspired the future generation of what's happened today by what they were able to do within the confines of the Attitude Era box, as it were. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not going to lie here. Um, with the whole wrestling side of things as well, it's like we're all about keeping each other safe as well. And when I have watched the Attitude Era, you're getting the likes of Terry Runnels coming out in a bikini and a pair of high heel boots. There's no safety involved. There's no knee pads. There's no boots, like proper ring wear. There's nothing safe about it at all. So when you're going on there, and I guarantee she didn't get the same training that you would get nowadays. So when you're thrown into the mix or in the deep end, like, and as you said, you're getting, what, two to four minutes to plan a whole match. And especially if it's to an experienced people, you're not going to get very far with it. But in the case of they did, like, they done what the men couldn't do. They met, they manned up. They done power. They overpowered themselves. They went out. They put on a show. They done what they had to do. But at the same time, it just goes to show how far we've came now. Because at the same time, I'm sorry, guys, but if you watch me in the ring, if you see half the moves, they are inspired by these women and for the likes of Molly Holly but Trish Stratus, Leah, I do half their stuff and it's not because oh look at me I'm a gay cat trying to do female moves but it's more so at the end of the day like when I was younger there was an interest to it and the one of the first wrestlers actually that came to me was China because I was like damn this is a bad bitch like she's literally 10 times the size of me she's wrestling men and like her feud with Eddie Guerrero was one of the ones that actually caught my eye um, and then for her to kind of put herself in the mix with the men it just goes to show like they can do it as well um, but at the same time it just goes to show how far we've came today um, Trish and Lita aspect I wasn't a big fan of Trish I was a Lita when I was younger and then this bitch came back in 2005 and had a feud with Mickey James and I was like, damn, I'm a Trish fan now. Yes. Like, um, Trish and Mickey, for example, like even though they were doing this whole lesbian gimmick and stuff like that, it just goes to show like as much as this is supposed to be like a con to bring older men into it or whatever you say, but at the same time though, like it's inspiring girls at the same time and gay men in the rights because they're out here on show doing a lesbian gimmick they may not like they have husbands in real life but at the same time it's it's theater the theatrical so like for you to be able to be comfortable enough to do that storyline and put it on for the fans by all means guys will probably get off to it i don't know if i'm allowed to say that but at the same time to me it's inspiring because i'm like you're going to come out here you're going to show your bum show your pants show you whatever well do you know what that's fine if yous can do that when look guess what the women can do nowadays and that's put on one hell of a show so and that's the thing like you touched on that beautifully there like what they had to overcome uh, from where they were expected to be and i think say that the crowning moment of the women of this era first raw women's main event we had mm-hmm. trish and Lita in 2004 um it was a while like till we see that develop as a regular thing yeah. a thing like Kwaku saying that we didn't have to sort of celebrate because it was seen as normal uh, but how important was that first 
women's main event of Raw to sort of like say, these women have earned this, they have done extremely well with the chances they have been given, and to be given that faith to have that women's title match that night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say my usual catchphrase, but I'm actually not going to do it for once. <laughs> um, but no, it was definitely, it was an iconic moment. Like, <clears throat> looking back, when you're like comparing like that main event to how many years it took for a woman to main event again, you can see how iconic it was. Like like you mentioned on like um Trisha's twenty four, um, for when she was leading up to her match with Charlotte at SummerSlam. I cried during that by the way. Um that you can just see how special it was for them and how hard they'd actually worked. Um but putting like putting their best foot forward each and every time and trying to actually break through like that proverbial glass ceiling that was always put in front of them and like see when you just look at that it was a special moment it was it was it was a first time ever it was a another word I'm yeah <laughs> you know historic. what it was historic it was it historic. was it was historic well that's the thing as well like you look at an our company tna back in the day um who gave their women these opportunities um to do what they meant to, to do and you've seen the likes of gail kim um awesome kong putting on just excellent wrestling mm-hmm. matches some of the best women's wrestling matches of that period at the time you know and it brings us forward um to what wwe is branded as this women's revolution the women's evolution if you were and we're meant to think everything's hunky-dory you know <laughs> in the world um obviously we did have the women main event in wrestlemania for the first time we had the the rise of the four horsewomen which we've covered so far on the show uh, but angel i want to ask you what do you think from your very unique perspective as being an active female wrestler right now do you think is the current state of women's wrestling and what improvements do need to be made to make sure that it is very much seen as being as equal importance to the men in wrestling to be honest, I think everything's going like really well women's wrestling just now as well. Like see even that uh, match that the women had at War Games was amazing. Like I truly think that maybe this is a bit controversial, but I think the women truly outshined the men in the match. They done I think they done the most mental shit and it was just amazing to see because especially with Kaylee coming for the tra- like the training school that I went to, I feel like it's very inspirational for me to see someone who especially that I get compared to a lot doing something like that on like such a massive platform in front of so many people. Um, but I feel like more stuff like that needs to happen because women aren't really afraid to do stuff like that anymore. I feel like before it was always like brand panties matches and stuff like that and when it was something that involved a bit more risk taking, it was always people that were ahead of their time like we were seeing like Lita and Trish and even Gail Kim. I feel like they were always, always ahead of their time so they were destined to come back during this era where women's wrestling has been pushed a lot more. Yeah, and that, like, that's the point like, with WWE and NXT specifically, they've always treated their women's divisions great I would say Jack there are some other companies who maybe not so much um, AEW right now I don't think is featuring their female stars and talent as much as they could and putting them in as, pro- as many prominent spots as the men um, is that fair of me to say or do you think that there is like plans in place with AEW to make sure their women's division is featured on that same level no, I'd say it's completely fair because I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head like the majority of the stuff that's happening in the women's thing right now but I can tell you New enough, maybe ending some of the men, but that's just purely because of the spotlight of the kind of characters they've got. There's not, it's, there's not really a lot of known folk, I'd say, kind of mainstream to get that appeal, not like Chris Jericho yeah. or whatnot, because like, if just someone just watching and be like, oh, who's this? It's no your, it's no your WWE likes folk. It's just it's hard to get that kind of same exposure 
then again, I'd say that's it could be the same in WWE as well. Yeah. Because it's just it's just they're not getting it's the, the screen time, the different show. Nah, the, well, we talked so it earlier, like one of the major problems I had last year, like Hand on Heart, the Iconics are my favourite act in WWE right now. I absolutely adore them. And the fact that they weren't featured as heavily as they could have been as the Women's Tag Team Champions, I did think was a bit criminal at the time. I wrote an article about it, like, where are the Iconics? What is going on? Um, so I do think that there's a, there's a way to go just to make sure that the undercard of the women's division in WWE specifically is featured featured as much as we're seeing the mid card um, with the men at the time just making sure that across the board we're seeing a sort of 50 to 50 split of male and female characters on screen um, but we need to move on to our next topic here we are now talking about racial diversity in wrestling and it's, it's a, been a different set of problems with this um, historically Kwaku I think one of the main things is not only for characters um, to break in to wrestling in the first place but also not to be stereotyped we see yeah. many sort of early examples of characters in wrestling who come from different racial and ethnic backgrounds sort of being pigeonholed into specific roles is there anything that you want to say and maybe yeah. why that's happened or uh, historically or like what was yeah what was the reasoning for all um, of that for years it's been like from my perspective and from others the two main stereotypes that you would associate with someone black as any form of media is either they're happy, like happy-go-lucky, nothing can face them, or secondly, they're very angry, and everyone's got to know they're angry, and that's it. There's not no other thing to it. That's yeah. it. That's me. Um, <laughs> and like the the problem with that is that when you're talking about entertainment or performing arts, obviously there should be different layers of different characters to mm. people because you've got to portray something different, you've got to appeal to different people. Whereas if you just have that to a pigeonhole system, you're kind of losing the character. You're losing, like, some, like, if you talk about, let's bring up any wrestler of any. Just bring up anyone, and you just have them as either polar, happy, angry. There's no other thing that they can present. Yeah, that's where you have the problem. Where eventually, when you want to have a storyline with them, you can't really pick them because you only pick them in those two ways. And um, like your, like we had a friend of the show, uh, Big Shoe Duncanton. Yeah, uh, he was talking about this in his Twitter this week. Do you want to sort of summarise like yeah. what he was saying in it? Uh, so I've got to say. Um, no tweet has touched me in the way this one was. And I'll read out the first tweet. So he read, Black is, and he puts the brackets at the levels of what black can be in wrestling a thread. So he makes a 15 tweet thread of what black can be. Uh, so he says there's a disconnect for decades regarding what black can be in this sport. For the ignorant, black performers are either happy or angry with no layers allowing me to show you the levels. So the first level is revolution, um, where he talks about how we can be revolutionary in our approach. Uh, um, next one is uh, promotion, where he talks about how we could dazzle the spotlight and we're not um, but, but sometimes the machine or as Shrek would say the machine we we mean this uh, people in power don't recognise see I said power there ah, <laughs> going back to one of the recurring themes of the show <laughs> next one is cocky so that's talking about how we could be out there and 
bold as brash, that kind of thing. Next one is confidence, showing that we're absolutely confident in ourselves and our skin. Uh, hustle is just showing great hard work, putting in the effort, making something out of nothing. Graft, again, is just putting in that hard work and he tagged in uh, a British star OGMO in that one, yeah. so topic graft. Next one is unity, so talking about how we got you, brother and sister, how we just look at each other and basically um, go together on something. Next one is defiant, and that's talking about how we want to be stuck to our guns and basically say this is what we can do legit to basically say that you're the real deal that one he tagged John Gresham in it uh, next one is complimentary so again it touches on the unity aspect of it so um, next one is history and he says where we leave legacies and build the foundations that one he tagged uh, Jay Lethal in it uh, next one is Radiant, and it says unapologetic, proud, more than some can handle. And that one he tagged Ashton Star and Sonny Kiss. Yeah. And next one is Black as Flex, so talking about muscles and all that kind of stuff. Which you have got. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 I, I can tell the sarcasm in that tone there. <laughs> um, next one is Black as Refined, so talking about how we could be cunning, poetic, articulate. Uh, next one is off-center, so showing that we can have a glandish, eccentric characters. Then he ends it with, I could go on, but that's uh, really just a taste of the black faces in wrestling. Fleshed out with performers with characters that resonate. We are actively being more than just stereotypes, and we'll keep doing uh, being the unity that uh, you would be doing that until creative catches up the world has been ready so and I think the world is ready you know yeah. what I mean because a lot of the things that I was reading this article by Stephanie Lee who's an academic scholar and she was talking about um, African American novels and literature um, at the time and she was saying like after the civil rights movement um, a lot of black writers found that they had to tell black stories independent of white um, mediators and a lot of the problem with that was that they were telling these black stories and making the black characters very stock and stereotype which yeah. is reflected in sort of the art of that time but she talks about as we move forward black writers and black literature and black characters we need to take into account all the other things that make them human beings such as um, their sexuality such as their class where they come from such as their nationality and stuff like that so it is it just reflecting what was essentially the thread is getting at we do need to move away from this thing that is only the race that defines the person and they're allowed to be more than just one or two pigeonholed stereotypes like you were talking about there. Mm -hmm. um, so Jesse, I'll come to you with our next point. Obviously we're in the day and age where we've just had something like Kofi Mania happen, an amazing, an amazing moment. Yeah. Um, and we've seen, especially it was Xavier Woods' reaction uh, to Kofi winning that probably touched me the most and he's spoken about the importance of it. In terms of um, black wrestlers specifically, are we getting to the point now where they are able to come out of these sort of stereotype boxes and stop being pigeonholed? Or does the current Jordan Miles situation sort of shed a light on maybe that not being the case? I mean, I sure hope so that we're getting to the point, um, like, regarding black superstars um, 
there is a lot of talent that you could say is a, a racial thing because they're not being used properly or they're more underused. For example, going back to even the women's division, we have Naomi, who is one of the most athletic females and we can all say the roster, but where is she? You have Ember Moon, who I watched on the Indies as Athena absolute talent and I once read a story about her actually not having the diva look beforehand mm -hmm. and now she's been granted this opportunity which would I like to see more of her absolutely and it's because she it's not because of her skin tone it's not because she's pretty it's not because she has good looks it's because she's talented as heck and the girl can wrestle um, so there is and one of my go-to girls at the moment is NXT's Bianca Belair extreme amount of talent and at the same time like we're talking about these stereotypical how they're always angry and ghetto as you can say i have a black auntie right so people used to say to me all the time but how you're white and i used to be like i know but it's not i can't choose family like she's black and what like <laughs> maybe i'm i'm just painted you never know but <laughs> um i can remember one time like it's nothing to do with like she was she's like She's not angry, she's chilled, she's any normal human being, she's just the same as anybody else, if regardless of her skin tone. Um, she does get angry sometimes, I remember my first night out I had, and it was a wrestling night out, and my phone was dead and I didn't return home that night, and she messaged, <laughs> you shall not be named, and wrote, said, you better be watching my nephew and I'm coming to your door, like... <laughs> Jesus. Um, but... If you know who you are, please don't comment. But, <laughs> but like, at the same time, though, there's... It's more so everything is kind of grown out of it. Like, I have a lot of um, black inspiration, so to speak. Like, my moveset was very inspired by Booker T, for example. And um, as you were saying about girls trying to get with that valley role, now we have Queen Charmelle, who is also black female but she portrayed that character head to head like she was an amazing valley do you remember Charmel and Booker versus Boogie Man the rest <laughs> oh of yes yes it's more so like and then obviously Kofi winning the title etc like I think nowadays there is a new kind of error breaking out which I hope for I hope the female get as much as the males but at the same time like I really hope that promoters etc don't base people on the colour of the skin because what century you living in mate like mm. get a grip and it's kind of one of these things I once heard a saying where we can't put the black guy as a bad guy in a show because it's racist and not the right side, right side of history listen it's not about skin tone it's if you are an amazing heel put the black guy as a heel in the show, I don't care what colour skin he is, yeah. it's entertainment. So if you're going to be one of these people that say, I'm not going to make them this particular person because the skin they wear, well, homie, you're just not doing your job right, so well, get it together. We're talking, I want to get into the booking side of it because we've sort of established the sort of history of the character there and the progression of that. But say that even today we look at superstars that come um, from like a different racial background. We've seen Kofi win the title at WrestleMania and lose it mm -hmm. in underwhelming fashion um, against Brock Lesnar a matter of seconds. We've seen Shinsuke Nakamura winning the Royal Rumble and not able to get the job done, never winning the WWE Championship and then being pushed back to the mid-card. So is it fair to say that even today and looking at WWE specifically has there been this ceiling um, put uh, like at the 
at the and the ceiling, for lack of a better term. I don't yeah. know where you put the ceiling like, ahead of these performers. I mean, you would have put the ceiling on top of them. But yeah, yeah, put them on top. No, of them. it's <laughs> it, no, you're completely bang on because it is exactly like that. I mean, there is all that talk and all that pushing of Kofi. Eleven years, he's he's like he's worked hard, and then yeah, given yeah, he had a, he had another year, he had a good title run, but then just the way he lost it to Brock Lesnar, you were just like you did all that for nothing because now you've just got a complete outroar by not only like a black community but you had the entire community come out and say that's no on like why the hell are you doing that and then pushing Kofi as a part of a tag team again putting them on the on the pre-show Survivor Series and you're like now you're just you're just like I keep saying one step forward but then you're taking two steps back yeah and like I do completely agree with what Jesse's saying like you should not be looking at the tone of somebody's skin I mean, let's just face it, if, like, see if you couldn't actually tell if you just had, like, those, like, even blind people. Blind people are a great example. They just hear people. They don't judge on the colour of their skin because they can't. Yeah. So why should everyone else, just because they've got that ability to see, that yeah. they should take advantage of it? Just judging the level of talent. Aye. Hey, Jack, did you have something you wanted to add to uh, that? It was the, not that I want to kind of go head to head with this cove thing, because I loved it, but I don't think that, like, I get that uproar and the hate about Kofi losing but they would have been the same if it was Ali they would have been the same if it was a white person it wasn't because it was Kofi that lost it was because it was Brock Lesnar that won yeah I feel yeah, yeah I mean that's that's right but I, I don't think I think it was just more excuse them for thinking that maybe this was a special championship like this was a this championship raid really touched on a lot of people that they just expected a better outcome like obviously it's never a good outcome if they lose the championship but I think it would have been just nicer because uh, excuse people for thinking that oh this was just done as a tick box thing mm-hmm. I get it it's like, I think it's just, I think it's just the timing was just a, such a shit thing for it to come really fast yeah. and that was like yeah. they could have they gave them at least like 15 minutes or whatever but I don't think it's it's I think it's harsh to say that it's, it's like a race factor. I think I think it is. It's one of the. I actually agree with you. Um, I do think that any wrestler in that position, no matter who was WWE champion at that time, might have gotten the same treatment as Kofi in that match. I do think though what Kwaku is saying is also true. That perhaps with this specific title reign, knowing what it meant to a lot of people, it perhaps could have been handled a bit better. You know what I mean? Um, which is a dis- debate to have in the comments alright so <laughs> get down to the Facebook group and yeah like, what side do you fall on um, do you think that that decision was racially charged on WWE's part or do you agree with Jack and what Jack's saying that oh, any no, I, like, I'm not saying it was racially charged I'm yeah. just saying I wish it was done better because mm. of the significance of the but it could have been though because one of the things I wanted to touch on um, Angel before we sign off in this first part of the show we have the Jordan Miles situation um, now he said a lot of things on Twitter that have divided fans uh, but one thing he did call WWE out on was for the lack of um, people of colour who are in power behind the scenes in that company do you think that that is something that has to change in wrestling across the board so that we don't see such negative stereotypes um, of racial characters being employed or used yeah, I feel like it's always good to have everyone from every area so that everybody's got to look in and it's fair on all parts. But I do feel like there is a real gap in the market across everywhere. Like, even on, like, 
AEW, like everywhere, like WWE as well, even on the indies, like there is a big gap in the market for people of a different race because it's not even that there isn't people to use because the people that are there do get used I feel but there's just not enough people of a different race that wrestle I feel like there's not that many black wrestlers really on the indies yeah. at all and I feel like even at the, the training school I go to we've not had a black trainee walk in in years or maybe even ever but like I think that's quite sad because I feel like it should be even, like, there should be more people of colour in wrestling. Yeah, and especially, like, what we're talking about, you talk about the black trainees, need coaches, you know, we need writers, we need people who can make sure that a situation like the Jordan Miles situation, which was outhandled, perhaps, by the wrestler in the aftermath, but a situation that shouldn't have came up in the first place is caught before it can become a problem. It's caught that, in that right. That's trip. exactly what I was going to say, like, like, I have had to explain where that t-shirt why it was quite very offensive mm. and it's because companies have actually made that mistake numerous times that they should know better but if your company is not very diverse where there's somebody that could go in and say mm, that's a bit iffy yeah that's where that comes about and that's where that gets caught yeah it's like you're, you're talking about it's not just what's on camera it's about who's uh, pulling the strings backstage yeah who's able to have those because conversations because at the end of the day it's those decisions that get put in front of the screen exactly and I think that's a good way to round up part one of our show when we come back uh, we will be talking uh, a lot more about diversity in wrestling we'll be talking about uh, LGBTQ plus wrestlers and we'll also be talking about uh, wrestlers with uh, physical disabilities with learning disabilities how that's been portrayed on screen uh, but first off listen to next week Sonia Deville interview uh, where she talks about coming out publicly um, in the limelight of WWE so stick around for that Hey everyone this is David from Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet and we are now officially on Patreon from just $4 a month you can get access to all our brand new weekly bonus content including the Wednesday Night Wars show where me and my panel will analyse the battle for rating supremacy between WWE NXT and AEW Dynamite. For all this and more, join now at patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet. What does it mean to you to be the first and only openly gay woman in WWE? <laughs> wow, I always get asked this question and then like I, I don't know how to answer it because I'm always like, oh... I guess I'm a role model, but my goal with, uh, I guess, um, talking about my sexuality publicly is just that the scared little girl that I was four years ago before I came out on WWE Tough Enough, little girl like that at home or a little boy can see me do it and be like, wow, well, if she did it, then maybe it's okay that I do it. And it's just to in encourage people to be themselves and the equality for all is what we should all want between race, religion, gender, sexuality, it doesn't matter. It's just we're all equal and we should treat each other as such. And so that's just my message overall. And if you could just tell us a little bit about your experience, because for people that don't know, oh, so yeah. you mentioned Tough Enough there. Yeah, so I started through a reality show called WWE Tough Enough. Uh, Mandy and I were both actually on it. I ended up being eliminated third, but during the preliminary taping of the first premiere episode, they asked me if I was in a relationship. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that question. Are you in a relationship or single or what's your... I'm in a relationship. Uh, I'm not, I don't have a wife yet, but I have a girlfriend. Christina, I love you. And um, to all my friends in high school, because they don't know that I'm a lesbian yet, this is kind of my coming out party. Woo! 
Yeah, we sweat a little bit. You want us to put that on the internet now or wait? I mean, go ahead. It was just one of those spontaneous moments that it surely wasn't planned, but I'm so grateful that it happened because after that, it not only gave me a new realization of what it means to be open and true to myself, but I feel like it helped me inspire other people. Like, if you're scared to do it, my advice would be do it because it was the best thing that's ever happened. I'm not saying there's not going to be trials and tribulations along the way, but in the end, the best life you can live is a life where you're true to yourself. Well, on that, because I know you've said before that people, you know, a lot of girls and women tweet you and you kind yeah, of get yeah. back to them. And I mean, how does that make you feel? You're an inspiration to these young girls. Yeah, it makes me feel amazing. I mean, um, I have this one little girl that tweeted me um, this, this whole long thing a while ago that she came out to her parents and that they, they weren't so accepting at first, but they've come around and she never would have done it, you know, had it not been for her seeing me do it on a public platform. So, I mean, if I can have that influence to one person, a hundred people, a thousand people, a million people, whatever the influence is, I'm, I'm grateful to be that person. And how do we make it less of a thing and more of the norm? That's a good question and that's a, it's an ongoing hunt and an ongoing search. I don't know the answer, but what I'm going to do to make it more the norm is just you, you accept everybody. You treat everyone equal. And um, I always like to compare it to, to sports, right? Because if you're on a soccer team with someone and you pass the ball to them and they score and you're excited and having a good time, do you ever think of their sexuality? Do you ever think of their race, their religion? You don't overthink any of that as, as a child, right? So we're not born hating others. We're, we're taught it and we're impressioned at young ages from the media and stuff like that. So if we know that we're born pure and I believe that, that then why do we learn to hate others for, for no reason? You know, because of a skin color, because of ethnicity, any, anything. So I, I always use that, that reference because to me that just seems so obvious. Like, don't judge people for things that don't matter. They should be irrelevant. They shouldn't be, uh, you know, whether someone's a good person or a bad person has nothing to do with all those things I just named. So judge them based off of that. And we have a campaign in the UK called Rainbow Laces where people involved in sport wear these rainbow color laces to show their support for LGBT equality and inclusivity. So cool. How important are campaigns like that? Oh, they're amazing. And the, the, the subtlety of a campaign like that, I mean, it's them wearing rainbow laces, but the message spreads so wide. And, and I think it's so important to get those to people on a, on a public platform because um, as much as we don't like to admit it sometimes, we are the influencers. Everything is social media nowadays. Everything is sports and entertainment. So I think it's awesome when people with such a big platform use it for such a positive message. And I'd love to wear those laces if I can. Of course you can. We've got you a very oh, own pair. Thank you. That's so awesome. <laughs> I so wear them in the ring. I was just telling you before, it's so funny. I am actually getting new shoes to wear in the ring and I just lace them with rainbow boot laces. There so we go. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. This is so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That Thank was perfect. You. Thank you. Hello everybody, Stephen Wilson here from Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat. Just making sure that you have subscribed to our new Patreon channel where we will be producing more content than ever before, including the Raw Report where I'll be one of the main hosts there. So go over to our channel, that's patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet where you can get all this amazing extra content from just $4 a month. Yes, $4 a month. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. 
Oh, it's time to rock and roll. We're back. <laughs> Thank you very much to um, Sonia Deville for that interview with Sky Sports. I'm sure they really appreciated it. Um, and I hope you all learned something. You know, that's the important thing about today is we're all learning. You know, we're all having fun. And yes, I was singing Trish Stratus's um, entrance theme because why not? It's the best song on the planet. <laughs> uh, before we get back into it, we're going to go into some of our listener thoughts and feedback or people from the podcast who couldn't be here today. Um, so we're asking what was their most inspirational moment when it came to diversity in wrestling. You wouldn't be surprised to hear Kofi Mania uh, was among them. Stephen Wilson said that. Daniel Campbell also said the Divas being renamed into superstars and the presence of the Evolution pay-per-view specifically were big moments uh, for Daniel Campbell. And I was like, yeah, fair play, Daniel. On you go, son. Um, we also had Scott McLeod. Uh, I asked them, where do we need to come? How far do we need to come in terms of diversity in wrestling? What's the next step um, with certain issues? And Scott McLeod responded, I think they need more women's writers. Things like this Lana storyline seem to be written by guys who have never met a woman before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see what you feel, Scott. Don't hold back. Uh, Ross McLeod said, I feel the getting rid of foreign bad guy angles could encourage more people, especially from a Middle Eastern background, to try and get back into wrestling, as they are all too often portrayed as the threat to American life. Um, same with those of Eastern European descent. Um, David Hockney agrees with that. He says the old you're foreign, you're a heel gimmick is so out of date. It doesn't always have to be America. Um, is always the hero, much like Hulk Hogan in the 80s. Um, and yeah, that's a lot of our listener comments, guys. So thank you very much uh, for sending in. Also, you can join ESSR uh, Facebook community page. Make sure you sign up for that to join in on all these fun discussions we have. Um, so we're going to set aside a portion of today's show, guys, to go around each member of my fantastic panel today, my fabulous panel, to ask them what was a moment that inspired them uh, relating to diversity in wrestling, a moment where they just felt quite emotional, you know, or they celebrated it, you know, or that inspired them. So we're going to go first to Kwaku Aji. Um, Kwaku, do you have a moment in mind that you would like to speak on? Yeah, um, it's been touched on a lot, and I have to say Kofi Mania. Mm. Uh, just the way the whole story was. I mean, I still do find it a bit trippy because my big brother's called Kofi. <laughs> so, calling something Kofi Mania, I'm not a big fan of my brother. I love my brother. Yeah. I'm not a pure maniac over him, but it was... I'm not a maniac over my brother. Nah, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, it's just... It's... I'd, Yes, we've had black champions in the past and stuff. Mm. Like we could go to like Rock, uh, Booker T, Ron uh, Simmons back Ron in the day. Ron Simmons, which was properly revolutionary. Um, uh, even go as far back as nineteen sixty four. Mm. Although he never took the NWA championship because he felt that winning it by knockout um, wasn't the right way to claim it, but. Um, it's just this was the WWE Championship uh, first Afro Caribbean who happens to be from Ghana as well, which is my native country, which I love. Um, just so much of it, and some some people have said there's no asterisk above it. It's Kofi WWE Champion. Love it. And the, one of the important things about that storyline was the whole build-up to it. Oh, what a build-up. Yeah, because it seemed to acknowledge this fact, and the New Day touched on it, that there was this extra 
glass ceiling placed on uh, top of glass that, wrestlers. That's where it goes back to Shook's tweet because it shows all those 15 characters, Dice and more, Kofi was displaying that. Mm-hmm. And then we had the unity with the new day. We exactly. Had we had the courage. We had a bit of cockiness because we do like Big E and the swinging hips and stuff. Oh, love that man's pelvic thrust. <laughs> <laughs> so we had those layers then. So yeah, Kofi definitely. Made it. And the fact that I think the new day is such an interesting story because if you listen to the new day's show this week, they were talking about how they wanted to make them like these stereotypical. Uh, what gospel preachers and they were like we're going to take this angle and we're going to turn it into something their own um, yeah and like when I hear that and I saw that that was just like you really don't know how to bring people if that's what you yeah. I mean I bet you those people don't really even go to church <laughs> <laughs> I mean fair play to the new day guys for turning around and they gave us that special moment at Wrestlemania and Kofi's kids in the ring mm-hmm. and what that meant um, Jack we'll come to you next what was your moment that you picked I was I was going to say the new day getting past the Manic Street Preacher hang and becoming what yeah. they are the Manic Street Preacher <laughs> 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 uh, that's the quote of the show uh, see like was it even before it was like what, Kofi was just kind of Welsh rock and roll stars <laughs> <laughs> Kofi was just always that kind of mid-tier guy get the IC title here and there and if they need someone to fill in it money in the bank or do some sort of spot or rumble he was a guy he was never going to be anywhere just get a kind of cheap pop and that was it Big E was just some crap bodyguard for Dolph Ziggler and then, I think Angel would disagree <laughs> I know excuse me uh, and like I couldn't, even, fan club. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what we were just doing like back then and then when they came together they must have been thought right so like they, kind of, they said themselves they thought like, this is their last chance like if they didn't get this right they'd be out the door yeah. and then they got told they had to pretend they were like priests pre- priests preachers whatever <laughs> and then they kind of turned that they weren't like they were arguably hated to begin with and then they kind of got that reaction and turned it what it is today and they became the kind of characters they want to be and they're just kind of carefree stuffed pancakes in their boxers and all sorts <laughs> I mean yeah. it's just it's, I think that's probably I, I appreciate that more than Kofi's win because they kind of broke through what they were meant to be and are now they are like the cumulative, cumulative longest reigning like tag team champions ever they're always stacked they're always there in the main show like they've essentially made it and more than that the top merchandise sellers in the company as well yeah. they, they showed that they weren't they didn't have to care to a specific segment of the audience that they weren't for they weren't black wrestlers for a specific black audience they were wrestlers for the wrestling audience no. if that makes sense and they put themselves in that spotlight and they've earned everything that they've got so yeah that's that's the new day appreciation segment of this show uh, well into the guys uh, Angel will come to you next What what is a moment or something that you have in your mind that you wanted to talk about? Well, mine's isn't exactly much to do with what we've already been talking about, but I remember when I first started watching wrestling, when I truly fell in love with what it is. Not even now what it was then, and seeing it change is just great. I just remember when I was younger, um, all the boys in my class in primary school would love their wrestling figures and they'd bring them in and I'd always ask them about stuff and then one of them gave me like a mad random shitty like Rey Mysterio figure with like <laughs> pure ugly gear on like brown I don't even think he ever wore like ugly brown gear but I was like I love this mad wrestling figure because I just liked them playing with their wrestlers and like just thought it was dead cool and then I was staying with my cousins one time and they were like come on like we're getting up early on Sunday morning we're going downstairs to watch Smackdown and I was like like 
I don't really watch wrestling and they were like, Mom, like, you like it? And I just remember Cody Rhodes came out and I like pure fell in love for him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and ever since then, like, I just loved wrestling. Not so much Cody Rhodes, but yeah. <laughs> uh, AJ Lee was always one of my favourites. Um, but yeah, that's when I started liking wrestling. Would you say it's accurate to say when you started watching wrestling, there wasn't as many female wrestlers to look up to? And are you happy that the girls in your position now have these women who are like front and centre in the main storylines on screen? Yeah, definitely. Because when I, all the boys had their wrestling figures, it was always just guys they had. Like yeah. there was never any girls. So like I never thought it was a thing that girls could do, really, to be honest, because they were never really wrestling. They were just kind of like they had a segment at a backstage spot. So I, I was like, oh, it's just like a guy's thing. Yeah. And then now, obviously, it's so much more different. And I hope that like we seven, eight year olds growing up now can see that like they can do this if they want to do it as well. Because I never thought, oh, I can't really do that. Like mm. it's a guy's thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Sarah, we'll come to you. What was your moment? This is your time. Oh, it's, it's been my time to shine. <laughs> um, well, no, well, because... You're going to start singing Marty McCutcheon there or something like that. <laughs> I mean, not quite, but... It's not time for a Jack's karaoke session. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Nah, because um, ev everyone knows that, like, I I really love pushing the whole women's wrestling. Like, I'm a big advocate for it. Like, I've got my whole women's shows that are talking all about it and, like, literally no men are mentioned. Mm. That's, like, they're not allowed. Um, Except for me, the, the new face of feminism on me. You won the evolution sweepstake. I'll get you back for one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think for me, like, because it stems on from like, you've got, it was just like the push, like that first ever women's main event, which has developed and it's sort of snowballed and snowballed and snowballed to where you're getting all women's promotions, like Angel's been featured heavily on Fierce Females, she's been heavily featured in Eve as well, right? Um, and she's only the age of 18 and if she's getting pushed this heavily this soon imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years mm. imagine what it's going to be like for her and I'm not just saying this because she's right next to me it's just, I, 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 I do, I I do. no no I do, I do push all the women's wrestlers like everyone can say that I do not have a bad word unless it is being booked in a horrible way Yeah. Um, to the point that it's just like right these girls deserve more Yeah. so I think like from that first ever main event with Trish and Leah to the women headlining the Royal Rumble with their first ever Women's Royal Rumble. Yeah. I cried watching that entire Women's Royal Rumble. Like, mm -hmm. it was just so emotional mm -hmm. to see all the women past and present coming back and putting the best show on. Like, yeah, it was probably like wasn't the best match, but it, they did the best with what they were given. Yeah. And I, they, I still enjoyed that. I, know, I, I love that. Oh, I'm I not saying that it was like, I didn't enjoy it because I did. It's. I think it's just like there were so many people like pick, like picking little nitpicks of it. It's like this person didn't quite hit that, or this person didn't didn't quite go over the top rope. That sort of stuff is a learning curve. And there's a sort and of extra level of scrutiny, I think. Oh, absolutely, there always will be. From certain segments of the audience. I think there always will be until natural selection takes them out. <laughs> you need to stop talking about this. Stop. <laughs> natural selection will take them out eventually. This is going to be used in some sort of murder trial. <laughs> <laughs> Natural selection, I'll take them out, Sarah. Did you kill so. no, them? No, it was natural, natural selection. selection. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is ridiculous. Right, I'm not hiring Dr. Lawyer as my lawyer then. <laughs> Jesse, what about yourself? Um, Your time in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, it was hard to narrow a few 
down to just one so um, for example ones that pop into my head is one that's probably not get as much acknowledgement as it deserves would be, um, I don't know if any of you have saw it, was Gil Kim and Miss Jackie Moore in lockdown pay-per-view and it was a, like um, the knockouts in a steel cage and we're finally getting that limelight of when the knockouts title and that came in and being like a Filipino queen and a black queen and they're mixing it in, there was, it's different, it was very different and they proved like they could just do as much as the men and that's how the knockout title was brought into things and that's, so that was a beginning point. Um, Second one, I have to give a shout out to the first ever women's tag titles getting announced. Um, and the talent that was in it, there was, um, there was a lot of doubt in the talent. We had obviously the Iconics, we had the Riot Squad, we had Sasha and Bailey, who we knew could obviously go. We had Naya and Tamina, um, and we had Naomi and Carmella running Team Throne together. Yeah. Um, and then you had Fire and Desire, Mandy and Sonya. And I think kind of that, everyone kind of doubted for the likes of Mandy to say she's just your typical blonde, she's a blonde diva Marie and stuff like that. She proved she earned her spot in that match. She was class just in that match. everyone. Uh -huh. And then I'm a big sucker for the Ryan squad. I hated them to begin with, I ended up loving them. So for them just to be given that moment to shine as well. And the tag chemistry that Sarah and Liv both had was impeccable. Um, Naya going through a chamber was phenomenal, haha, -ha. that's what you get, Come on, love you. Um, but I think the number one I can remember was sitting there um, and I was watching that Mickey James versus Melina Falls County Anywhere match on my phone and then Raw was on the TV and Stephanie Man had just announced the first ever Women's Royal Rumble and the Royal Rumble they obviously brought back all the Attitude Era like legends who gave their time to shine, Tori Wilson, shout out to my homegirl um, and then even at that you had not only the fantastic Royal Rumble, the first ever you had Ronda Rousey be the big debut at that point. She came and that shook up the women's division because it's like they have this big branded name in it now. Here you go, like here's something else to just add to it. So yeah, I'd say that the Royal Rumble announcement was probably my first choice. Nice, number one. Number one. I love it. Well, thank you all for sharing. All your stories, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. I feel Even though all... mine's wasn't really into doing it. And... I, no, I feel we've all learned a lot from each other today. You know, a valley of emotion. Anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to be talking about the portrayal of LGBTQ wrestlers in wrestling, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, I'm a shock too. There's gay wrestlers? Like. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, so, the, the first question I want to come to um, Mr. Jesse Santana sitting to my right here. Early sort of portrayals of homosexual or queer characters in wrestling. You see the <laughs> likes of Gorgeous George, Adrian Adonis, even characters like Goldust and Billy and Chuck bringing it a bit more up to date. Yeah. Most of them were portrayed by heterosexual performers who are being playing these characters. Now, what do you think about that? Because obviously, we're seeing different characters and it is theatrical, so they're putting together these gimmicks, but also, it, is, does it become a caricature at that point? Or is it mocking or um, I would what? say some of it is very stereotypical, sorry. So they done what they thought gay people would be like, which is fine, like, by all means, gay people judge too. <laughs> but, like, putting on, like, the wigs, etc., like, not all gay people are like that, mm -hmm. that is uh, another form of 
entertainment, which is drag, yeah. which is completely fine. Like, by all means, that's not me, but you do you at the end of the day. I'm not going to judge you for what you want to do. Um, but again, some of the people portray the gay character as this is what gay pe- all gay people are like, and it's nothing like that at all. And as I say, number, number one, I'm a wrestler. Number one, I'm a human being. Number two, I'm gay. Like, that, my sexuality has nothing to do with anything I do in the wrestling business. Um, and I mean, even that, that the gay common thing is, the thing that I'm liking about it now is, is bringing in, like, not only just gay wrestling that's accepted, they're starting to do more intergender thing for the females now, so it's getting to be the female and with the guy and showing that we can keep up with the men just as much as well. So at the same time, like, I felt as if a lot of gay people look down on, on their ability, like their old character, mm-hmm. or the thing is with the gay community is we should be coming together as one, but somehow I'm guilty for it. When I first started, I was very judgy and being like, I am not doing the same character as another gay person will do. But I just, I got over it. I was like, it's accepted. Do you know what? We should be coming as one. And um, I put up a tweet recently of um, like LGBT people that I would like to work, and it's kind of one of Caius, yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he got back and he was like, let's do it. Yeah. And it's not, I don't want to work him because he's gay. Like, I've watched some of his stuff and he's talented. Yeah. So it's like, let's put on entertainment for the fans. But do you feel sort of, uh, Jesse, part of that is to do with, like the, you're saying the early sort of competition is this perception of there being one spot yes. for like a gay character and it's not been sort of like a lot of representation across the board so that's what breeds the competitiveness has been that sort of environment yeah um, so it, the way it was kind of worded is there's a gap in the market so it was like there's one spot and we're all fighting for this one spot and then when I was watching like Sunny Kiss etc at first I was like oh, damn they're doing better than me like they're much up there but the way I see it is why can there only be one why can there not be a group? Why can there not be a show? Why can there not be a promoter? Hint, hint, when I'm 50. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the longest term job job I've ever heard. <laughs> but the thing that I'm coming and what sets me back that I'm glad from an injury in this case is I'm coming back fresh and come back with something new and I'm going to prove to people that it's not just stereotypical gays. We're not cheerleaders. We don't come out with pom-poms and miniskirts. We are fierce, we are phenomenal, and we are coming for your spot straight men, so at the end of the day, come at me bro. <laughs> I feel it man, like, and Sarah going off on that as well, we brought up Billy and Chuck who, like, for when I started, I started wrestling playing the Smackdown games and I was mm-hmm. like, who's Billy and Chuck? Just the headband, didn't know they were gay, but they were just a tag team, but you go back and watch it. And a lot of their stuff was actually praised by sort of gay charities and agencies yeah. at the time. It was one of the first gay marriages actually featured on television was <laughs> Billy and Chuck. Yeah. So what do you think? It's a hard question. I don't think there's a hard and fast answer to it. Is it more important that we're getting these gay characters represented on television, but who portrays them are two straight men, as we know when Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo. Yeah. So there's a sort of like maybe asterisk next to it. I mean, I did talk about this. Like, we, I did talk about this on our controversial storylines wrestling show mm-hmm. because Billy and Chuck was one of the ones that it was controversial in its own way. Yes, it was heavily like promoted. It was actually Glad that was doing the writing with it. But then WWE went and turned it around and was like, "Ha, we're actually not gay. Yeah. We're not getting married." And then you're just like, "Well, that that 
No, that's it just that, nullified the full yeah, story. Yeah, you just like. nullified absolutely everything. You just made whoever you're working with and you've had um, exclusive partnerships with look like absolute fools. Yeah. So in that way, like I've never liked the whole Billy and Chuck representing of the gay society because it is a horrible, horrible representation. Like even when they were doing the storyline, it was just that bad, and yeah. you, you just it was ah uh, you could just tell it was like really really bad acting. And that they either just didn't want to do it, or they were just like, "We've got nothing else to do right now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those things. Not only we talk about this a lot, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Um, I'll come to you, Angel, on this. We've seen there was a show in the WWE Network, and it was a uh, Legends House. It was a couple of years ago, and there was a scene in that show where it was Pat Patterson. Um, he got a bit tearful, and he came out and opened up to his fellow legends like Roddy Piper. Um, around him saying that he was gay and he'd been living with that for like 50 years and his partner just died and he didn't really have anyone to talk about it with. So that's then and obviously we move on now to Darren Young being the first openly gay wrestler in WWE. We have Sonya Deville. I hope he's still single by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You would find it (laughs) 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 not. Call me Jesse Young. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously we have Sonya Deville as a a clear example um, in the modern day on Total Divas um, being out and proud a lesbian woman. But do we think, we see these two examples, do we think there are certain cases in wrestling today where people are afraid to come out um, in that environment? Or do you think it's more an environment that's more encouraging of it? No, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it can be either because of course there's a lot of people in like the wrestling community, whether it be like fans, wrestlers, promoters, like there's all different levels and obviously everybody sees everything differently. But I feel like it's quite sad that you were saying like he felt like he had to hide that he was gay and that his partner had died and like he didn't have anyone to speak to, but it shouldn't be any different than a girl having their boyfriend die or a guy having their girlfriend die. Like why should it be different if it's a girl who's had their girlfriend die or a boy with their boyfriend? Like it it shouldn't be any different at all. but I feel like it should be more open now to everyone, especially seeing people like that come out on telly and being able to tell the whole world, like, yeah, I'm gay and I'm proud of it. So, and I don't... Obviously, with Pat Patterson as well, this wasn't a guy who necessarily had to fear for his job or anything like that. This mm. was a guy who was in like, a prominent position of power in WWE as well. Obviously, the innovator of the Royal Rumble match, one of Vince's closest allies to feel mm-hmm. that it was sort of like an open secret that couldn't be talked about publicly is something that has changed as times went on but obviously I don't know what the environment is like if it fosters that sort of like and obviously we talk about the environment uh, a video actually when we are prepping for this show I couldn't put it in the notes um, of a fan at ringside using a homophobic slur um, against Sami Zayn um, and yeah I watched that yeah and Zayn reacted in fairness, quite angrily to that, and Jack, I want to come to you as well. What did, what did you make in seeing that video? Because like, I found it quite sort of disheartening to think that sort of same thing was going on, and also how quickly it took security to actually heed Sammy's request and remove the man from the situation as well. I I, I like the I get a disheartening thing and whatnot. But I found it quite touching in the way that like Sammy just went off on him straight yeah. away and just didn't give him kind of any rest until he was gone. I felt that like. He was standing up for what for what was was right and have this kind of backwards person just put out. I thought it was fantastic, but it was a bit bit worrying that that can still happen. And then how how quickly he can do the rounds on social media as well. I think 
is quite a alarming thing. We're not saying it's like, obviously it's been put in the way, it's like, oh, this guy's being a homophobe, but that's our own yeah. thing. It's kind of worrying that there'll probably folk out there that does agree with him yeah. as well. And that doing the rounds, being like, oh yeah, well, why can't he be like that? That's exactly. the way it is. Exactly. Hey, Quacker, do you have something yeah, to add to that? Um, I find it disheartening, but there, there was a bit element of hope in there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hope was that I think it's the, well, it must be the the guy's son is shouting, Dad, Dad, in the way to say stop. Yeah. And my hope is that that is a kid that recognises, because I don't believe this, that when it comes to like discrimination and prejudice and all that kind of stuff, that's something that we learn as adults. Mm. Kids know nothing. They don't care. They see people as people. Yeah. That's it. Um, I would like to hope that that kid was saying that stop, that he just did, he w- w- did not like how angry his dad was getting. Mm. And that gives you the hope for the future. Yeah. And obviously, um, Jesse, like you portrayed um, a character previously um, who was sort of like an out and proud gay man. What was Did I? <laughs> <laughs> what was your sort of ex- have you experienced anything like what we've seen in that Sammy Zane? Um, yes, I have. Um, so um, Angel will back me up on this. When I first came to train, I wasn't out as gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to. Tell we all knew. <laughs> I fancied Angel when I came to train. <laughs> Um, yeah, they all knew, but like at the same time, they did. They weren't like pressuring me to come out with it, and they waited on my time when I was ready to say to them. And um, even I've just came out to my mum this year, which has now we've got a closer bond than ever now because I was like two different. I was like Hannah Montana outside. I was Hannah, and I'm like best of both worlds. And then like when I'm in the house, I'm like this wee guy loves football and yes and. But then, like, it comes to, uh, the, I remember wrestling one show, and it was a six-man, it was a good guy, and everyone does love you when you're coming out in shiny outfits and that, because it's a new era, so every, like, the mums especially, they'll cheer you, dads will be like, oh god, what have I got myself in for? But they're still loving it, and I can remember I was high-fiving everyone, and I got to this one guy, and he went, what the fuck are you doing? And I went, excuse me? And he just went, I'm not shaking your hand. And I went, oh well, got on with it. And by the end of that match, he was clapping for me at the end. Mm-hmm. So when I got out, I went, look who's clapping now. And he went, well in. And that like, so that way I've earned his respect. But at the same time though, it's kind of like, we shouldn't be, st- I shouldn't have to deal with that. because you shouldn't have to earn his respect. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? He shouldn't be coming in with that sort of action. Uh-huh. You know? But like, even at that, like, I still get nervous every time I go- I'm going out. I'm like, how what reaction am I going to get? How am I going to get it? But like, um, even in shows like Guaranteed, like I was playing the good guy one time against Angel, who was the bad guy. And I was like, I'm going to get booed. Like, I am hitting a ghetto. <laughs> and I think literally pulled it off. Like, I was... As long as I'm enough of a bitch, they're not going to like me. <laughs> 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 I have a bit of a resting bitch face as it is anyway, so most people are already like, she hates me. So. <laughs> it was like we came out, we had Christmas jumpers and that on. But I was like, as soon as I touch her, like, I'm going to get booed. And she slapped me and I died on top. And I was like, doof, doof, right, you know, right's left. And they were like, yes, punch it, punch it. I was like, I'm punching. <laughs> so, like, where, where was that show? Where were you? It was SSW. It's now closed down. But we, even at that, like, Goes to show the doors open because we've I wrestled for a women's belt like it was a diamonds championship and they never saw it as like oh it's a women's match we saw it as like it's a title opportunity this title is an agenda so to speak and I think honestly our chemistry in the ring 
like no one cared where our boy or girl like it was we put on a hell of a show for people and that's just that period and that was like a couple of years ago as well that like that was before like intergender wrestling was properly getting yeah. pushed mm. And it's, it's one of those things as well. History was Hist- born by <laughs> Jesse Santana and Angel <laughs> Well, I, I was the first woman in the King of Cruisers match for PBW. Yeah, shout out to that. But I was, sadly, I didn't win. didn't become the first Queen of Cruisers. <laughs> I'll batter them all next year. I was the first woman to get beat up by KOE. <laughs> 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 but I think I want to put this question to the panel openly so whoever wants to jump in here I think do you think there is a still a way to go and do you think that LGBTQ characters are sort of being like Quacky was talking about earlier pigeonholed into certain roles and do you think there's a way we can sort of escape that I think one of the shining examples I've seen is Sonia Deville who's been very open publicly about her sexuality but hasn't defined her character yeah. necessarily mm-hmm. um, what do you guys think about that is there a way to go uh, with that in wrestling um, so I have been watching a season of Total Divas because I did see that Sonya Deville had a gay storyline which I was really excited for and I don't know if she's been tuning in but basically she got an all thumbs up for her and Mandy yeah. to do a gay storyline Yeah. but then it was so, so a Wrestlemania match was supposed to be Sonya Deville versus Asuka for the Smackdown Women's Championship obviously that didn't go as planned because Charlotte became tight when it became like the triple threat but like it was supposed to be her and Mandy developing this gay storyline which I look forward I was looking forward to but at the same time like I wasn't a major fan of Sonya watching this season and what a person she is I am a big fan of hers now because she's just dedicated she's like the whole pride floats and everything she was doing she's taken what she has and turned it into uh, kind of praise for us all a pride for us all and it's kind of like what I want to do I've had people messaging me saying like I never knew there could be such a thing as gay wrestlers or but I'd get the weird common one like do you not get like a hard on in the ring no I'm getting barred I do not get this in the ring like <laughs> but wow I didn't realise that oh, regardless that of that um, I'm sorry about that DM I didn't <laughs> <laughs> So that's why we tell you to delete the, the GoPro. Aye, 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 now we know why. But back to Sonia. <laughs> like at the end of the day, um, even coming out with a representation of a gay flag, and you have more than Sonia, you have Finn Balor who's mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Uh, praise to us all. Keep it going. Like um, as I said, I'm coming back as a new person. Like, am I still gay? Yes, but. I'm going to show you that not all gays just have to be the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think like that's the important thing as well. Is I remember TNA back in the day, um, Orlando Jordan portrayed, like, <laughs> portrayed a bisexual guy, and one of the major problems I've had with bisexual males on screen is like they're always like sexed, crazed, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> my life beside Jesse, maybe I'm a wee bit, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, Orlando Jordan was an example of like he kind of he was kind of made like a predator sort of thing so yeah. to speak like and I didn't really enjoy watching it because I was just kind of like oh, damn like it's just really problematic I found and I hope we do get some more uh, bisexual representation in wrestling yeah hopefully I get to do that well. one day uh, the reason <laughs> we can't talk about it is because there hardly is any so like, I think that's part of the problem but we move on to our last segment of the show uh, and we're talking about we're going to first focus on portrayals of wrestlers with clear physical disabilities um, and Jack I want to come to you with this first um, one of the, the main storylines that I can remember when I was putting together this show was the Zack 
Gibbons storyline um, from back in the day with Brock Lesnar. Do you are you familiar with that one? Uh, I know, I know a part of that. Yeah. And that's one of this one of the things like Zach Gibbons. He was an ex-army veteran uh, and he had an amputated leg, um, which in itself could be a sort of positive story, a feel-good character you get behind him. But part of the problem there was he was beat up by Brock Lesnar and treated as a joke. So the question I have for you is like. Is it better to have him represented on screen with that if the storyline isn't going to really achieve anything, if that makes sense, at the end of the day for sort of positive representation of characters like that? Uh, I'd say I and no. Yeah. Knowing that there's not really much point if he's just going to get battered anyway. Yeah. But I, in the sense that it's good to get him out on the team, I don't feel like it achieves. All I think it achieves is the appeasal of Vince McMahon. It doesn't achieve anything else. Yeah. Like, Fair enough, he's, he got out there and he did his thing, but like, he was purely bet up for Vince McMahon's entertainment. It wasn't anything else, yeah. so I don't, I don't think he achieved none. And that's the, well, that's part of the problem with a lot of what I wanted to talk about today. Quacky, we talk about uh, wrestlers with restricted growth and like, what Jack's saying, a lot of the time in WWE, when these wrestlers are presented, it seems to be so Vince McMahon can get a laugh backstage. Yes. Really, <laughs> Like it's still used these days, mm-hmm. and I'm using quotes here. Quite often, they use the term "midget," mm-hmm. and "midget" is absolutely very. It absolutely comes from a very offensive term yeah. because where it comes from is like small midges, and it associates with small small midges that are really annoying around the ear, and that's where midgets come in. And the fact that they go, "Oh, this is the midget," this and that, and it's just really to poke fun, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not really cool. And exactly, and Sarah, like, what we're talking about is, like, they get no offense in against these guys. They're used as, like, punching bags typically, and mm-hmm. when it's a character, even like Hornswoggle, who <laughs> might get something, a former Cruiserweight champion in his own right, it is still presented as, like, a joke act. Oh, yeah, no, I think this is something that I did actually really want to touch on, because it's like anyone that seems to have a physical disability because I remember watching it was the AEW Casino Battle Royale the guy that had both his legs amputated mm-hmm. yes he was getting some great offences in but the jokes that you saw going around on social media saying he can never technically be eliminated because both feet aren't hitting the floor yeah. it's stuff like that like all you're doing is yes in some way people are like yes this, like, this person's got a physical disability they're being represented on TV in a great way but at the same time it is just setting up saying yes it's okay to joke about something like that and that's the thing like it's not a problem with the way AEW have portrayed that storyline because they have given them the yeah they've given them out. a great form it's just what they've done is unfortunately you get the reprobates as I'm going to call them the people that are going to die from natural selection one of the, these the days the natural selectors yeah. uh, the natural selectors <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but like that's that's what it feels like, like it's maybe not intentional yeah like I think most people are like for AEW yes he was getting a great offensive see if he had done actual next to nothing yeah and just got like, like became, is that given? became a punching bag essentially yeah. with a, or like a pillow with arms Aye. right that's the that's just the way of setting people up to fail it's like it's yeah. okay to make jokes like that yeah because uh, i don't think he's actually been seen since that casino battle royal he either. hasn't but it's one of those ones where it's like these people are able to go in the ring when you mm-hmm. give them the chance to do so and one of the the matches i wanted to talk about <laughs> in that regard is vlc uh, back in the oh day my God, versus El Torito. like the thing is there's a reason I, that did not make my top five tlc matches no, but like <laughs> I would argue it was a good match because the reason I would say is when you 
Kurama, I loved El Torito. When they put that match together him. backstage, they're thinking this is going to be a joke, it's going to be funny, it'll be a novelty performance, right? And they see interviews with Hornswoggle and El Torito backstage, and like, no, we're going to go out and make this like a class wrestling match, yeah. which they did. Everyone was taking bumps left, right, and centre, so it's not one of those ones where you can say these guys can't go and can't be given it because when they've yeah. been given the opportunity to do so, they've been able to put on great matches and getting good performances. Mm. Um, Angel, I know this is something you wanted to touch on, um, and it's the portrayal of maybe learning disabilities and mental health problems in wrestling. Um, on screen, a lot of the time it's been handled in poor taste, and I wanted to talk about that you were seeing a lot of quotes from what AJ Lee was asked to do in WWE, if you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, uh, obviously I was a big fan of AJ when I was younger, and I loved her character. Like Her character was the main reason why I really enjoyed watching her on television. And uh, obviously recently she brought out a book, um, and she spoke a lot about her battle with um, bipolar 2 disorder. Um, but she spoke about how, obviously, when they were coming up with ideas for like her being the crazy chick, uh, they pitched a storyline that involved her taking part in a series of goofy skits in which her character would hallucinate and kiss a leprechaun while they were dancing with dinosaurs from outer space. And obviously, to someone with like an actual mental health problem like that, she yeah. was like... I'm sorry, but like I really don't want to do that, and like she was punished for it and took off television, which I think is ridiculous because that to someone with something like that, that could really like it's not like it's offensive as so for the fact that she got punished for saying no to something like that that genuinely was like not nice towards her or like her ca- even to be honest the fact that her character was classed as crazy yeah. when she has bipolar disorder probably could have been. Like quite borderline, but she did she did do it very well, I think. And it wasn't as if she it wasn't in a way that it was because of that disorder that she was crazy. It was just like she had like a wacky character. Aye, and there is like I will say it is a tough borderline, Jack, and I'll come to you for this one because you could look at the recent storyline with uh, like Bray Wyatt and, and Daniel Bryan that's been happening in SmackDown where Daniel Bryan's been like, I am mentally unhinged and that's why I can beat The Fiend because he too is clearly mentally unhinged, you know what I mean? Um, and it's like, where do you draw the line with that? Because obviously wrestling it is larger than life stories, larger than life personalities, but there is a sense of you not being sensitive enough when it comes to, yes, you are portraying what could be a real-life serious issue for some people. So it is a bit of a balancing act. What do you think about that? I definitely think it's hard to kind of blur the lines of like saying when like mentally unhinged or crazy because like what other words could you say? Yeah. In that aspect, it's hard in the sense of what to do. Cause anything, anything that could be said, said in that sense to go up against the fiend character if you say you're mentally unhinged, you're like, wow, that's a bit touchy. You say you're crazy and you're like, well, there's folk that are, could be argued as crazy and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a hard line to distinguish. It'd be good if you could just say it and it'd be fine, but you've, there's always going to be someone somewhere that will not take it Aye. in the way it's intended to be. And that's it's one of those ones where as well, like I remember the movie Split came out and that reminds me mm. a bit of the Bray Wyatt fiend persona and a lot of people were saying, I guess this is dissensive and a lot of people's backlash to that was, but it's a superhero movie at the end of the day so there seems to be different rules I'm wondering do those rules apply to wrestling do you have a creative license to say stuff like that does anyone have an opinion on that or well uh, like speaking creatively like I'm just thinking what Angel said about Mm -hmm. like AJ what I'm just thinking what is the psyche of the people that thought of that yeah Mm -hmm. 
it probably walks around with one hand down their crotch or caught permanently. Be a natural selector, aye? Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, though. It's like, I would use both hands, but one must remain or, or do you think, and Angel, I'll come back to this, do you, know, do you think the, the main problem isn't that the crazy stuff was necessarily being employed, but because they knew that AJ had these battles personally, yeah. that putting this to her was unfair and that is the main problem with yeah, it? Yeah, she, she did say as well in her book, like, she did understand it was a joke, but it's like, it's not just her that has bipolar, it's her mother as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's her whole family and she was like, I'm just not comfortable doing something like that because it makes, we're not any different than anyone else, but you're making us seem, like, literally crazy by, like, hallucinating and, like, dancing with, like, space yeah. dinosaurs. Like, it's just such a ridiculous idea of something that's a mental health problem. Like mm-hmm. you, like so many people have mental health issues, and you'd never know. But to WWE, they're like, then they were like, let's just make her seem like she's absolutely mental. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the other thing is, I want to get into the the way that learning disabilities have actually been handled, um, or uh, on screen by WWE. And Jesse, I want to come to you and talk about one character in particular, Eugene, um, and very much a product of the time. I think um, the words, there were horrible words being used on screen at the time to describe that character. Do you think characters with learning disabilities haven't, I couldn't really think of one in the mainstream um, that has been used more recently. Um, why do you think that is? And what do you think about this sort of negative portrayal of characters with learning disabilities in WWE around about 2005? Again, just what you were saying about like Vince doing it for uh, his own giggles or benefits and stuff like that. Like, I remember watching um, a couple of promos with Eugene. It was just basically like them just taking the piss out of him. Clearly, mm. it was a joke, or like they would embarrass him by like making like the females just kind of take the piss out of him and stuff like that. Because like they're supposed to be beautiful, and he's like firing into them and they're rejecting him, and and then he'll get beat up by the big guy and stuff like that. So, in a mentally aspect, like I call wrestling the misfits club because. Even though it's you have to be like physically good and in shape and stuff like that, you have to have a strong mentality mm-hmm. because there's a lot involved in it. And if like being in a wrestling world, when you get to know people, you find out that people are very similar to you. People have a lot of mental stuff like going on. Um, everyone is different, and um, put it this way, um, speaking clearly for myself, um, everyone kind of has their own issues and their own dif- difficulties and all that and I don't think it should be taken advantage of and regardless of any way because um, I remember watching Eugene and when I was a young boy I was just kind of like ah, ha, ha. and then when I grown up and you think about it and you realise what they were doing that's when it becomes an issue and um, just but it normalises it for you as a child seeing it on screen you yes. think that's the way these like people that's be the way uh huh so like when I grew up and you learn about it and stuff, it's completely different. And like speaking for myself, I walk about with a lot of confidence. But even the, what I say is, even the people with the biggest smile on their face had their own issues going on. And I would like to thank Taylor Wright for the positivity because with my injury, I became negative. I became bitter, and I guess you could say bipolar because one minute I'm like somebody's my best friend, I'm flipping on them, and I'm putting all the blame on them, but. For someone able to take you from that dark place and turn it into a positive, thank you. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, Sarah, is with all of these categories we're discussing today, this is the one with perhaps all round 
uh, the least visibility and the most improvement for change in wrestling. Would you say that's fair to say? No, absolutely, because like you said, it's hard to even pinpoint a single wrestler who has openly talked about having learning difficulties or because it's it's sort of the same in every way. It's like if you're gay, people would be scared to say and come out in case of not getting booked or the case of like maybe like the promoter is like a homophobe because I know that is a big big issue. Has happened to myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know that it's happened to like Christopher Saint as well like in the past um, he really opened my eyes when it came to talking about um, being a gay wrestler and now all the struggles that he's faced as well because um, I think that really did open my eyes but when it comes to learning disabilities I was actually watching some of Eugene's stuff back and my god it broke my heart. Mm. It absolutely broke my heart because it's just the same like I know people with learning difficulties, I've got family members who have gone through the exact same thing yeah. and it's it's in a way it's, it's, get, it's like reliving them getting bullied, mm. like that's the way that I saw it. Yeah, because there's like the whole, people can look at it from two, like so many different perspectives, like you can say it's highlighting real life issues of bullying, that may be true, but you're also making it seem like it's okay. Mm. And that's the one thing that I was never ever happy with because it, again it broke my heart and that's one thing that put me off of wrestling Yeah, was the fact that people just thought it's like it's just a joke it's, this is we're putting it on TV and we're just gonna act like it's all okay mm. Yeah, going back to what Sarah was saying about the Billy and Chuck thing It's like kind of that way they built this up and some people will be gay and homosexual and that in the audience and they're looking forward to this and they're like it's finally been expressed for them to turn around and be like ha we're just yeah, joking it's just a joke. it shoves it in their face and yeah. can turn someone's confidence away and it's the same down. with Eugene Eugene was over you, like, uh, I for, like for better or worse the character could have had a more positive ending when he overcame the bullies who were I thought this, he was adorable but he didn't you know what I mean and I think yeah. that's the, like, the conclusion of the storyline is when the do you know who I've just thought of who? remember Jesse Festus Yes, Festus, nah. the character that Doc Luke Gallows played yes. initially yeah. in WWE. And now he's Luke Gallows now. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, that's the thing. It brings me on what I was going to say. I hope that um, the powers that be at ESSR, uh, hashtag Stephen Wilson, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. It's My Podcast, uh, will give us the opportunity to do another show because, like I said, there's not enough time to get everything in we want to do. Remember, today. I said at the start we'll mention power a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, races and ethnicities we didn't get to talk about a lot in depth today. Um, we didn't really get to touch on trans wrestlers um, and their sort of place in wrestling and development in wrestling history. Um, and there's a lot we didn't get to cover today. So I hope that we get another opportunity to have a similar discussion like this on another day. But one of the things I want to to say, because um, I'm going to be going away from the show. Uh, for a while now this might be my last time hosting but a lot of time to come out and do this because part of the reason we're doing this show is to not only just present it as it is and have you listen to it we want to make sure that these topics are being discussed that you're learning from it that you ask the questions so that is why I urge everyone who's listening to this show if they have anything to say about it make sure they get to either our Facebook community page make sure you respond to our tweets on social media keep this conversation going and tell us what does it mean to you like at home and just remember that we're all in this together you know what I mean we've all, all got one life there's no room for any sort of biases um, racism homophobia everything like that we're all united by our shared love of wrestling as a whole and that's what the most important thing should be so I just want to thank my panel today firstly Jesse Santana to my right 
Sup? <laughs> uh, the one and only Sarah Green. Thanks, David. Uh, Angel Hayes, thank you very much for coming in. Being thank you. And uh, Jack Graham. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Pleasure. And uh, last and least again, <laughs> Ken Non. We love him. He's the most <laughs> no, important. No, you don't. Don't even lie. <laughs> if he wasn't here, we couldn't record the show. It's Quacku. That part's maybe true, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So ESSR will be back next week focusing uh, with a show exclusively on Trish Stratus. It's not a show about Trish and Lita. (laughs) (laughs) I will storm the room and force them to do a full 90 minutes on the one and only Trish and Lita. No, it's the Trish and Lita show next week. I'm sure these guys will be having a great time. Uh, Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Make sure you check out the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, all that jazz. And also sign up to our Patreon, uh, where you can hear my beautiful dulcet tones with Scott McLeod every week um, on Saturday Draft. Life. So, guys, with all that being said, goodbye. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the f you think you're doing, whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, whatever the f you're doing, that's what you should be doing. I don't care if it's your mum's birthday, I don't care if she's feeling contractions, get on it right now.